We're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start right around verse 11 and go through the end of the chapter. I think that's 22, but it might be 23. I guessed on the, the slide, I think. So last week, we talked about grace. And grace is important, right? Because it's unmerited favor. It is something that we receive from the Lord that we do not deserve. Okay, we get the first place prize even though we came in last. Why? Because Jesus finished first and he decided to share that prize with each one of us. He says, if you run my race and you run it the way I want you to, then you will be able to end up in heaven just like I was able to run it and and get to heaven as well, right? He sets the way. He is the one that is our conduit to get to heaven. And so that's what we are looking at this morning. And as we get into this, he goes right into this unity thing about the Gentiles and the Jews, which tends to be a situation that comes up often. I even had one of my commentaries say that the theme of Ephesians doesn't start till chapter 3 when he says this is the verdict. And that is talking about the division of Jews and Gentiles, um, which is kind of a racist thing, but it's also a religious thing because God called the Jewish people to come out and be separate from the Gentiles, okay? The problem is the Jewish people were becoming more and more Gentile-like. And so for them to say to come out and be separate, they wanted to make it a little easier, and they made it a race thing, and uh, how we're going to select our wives and our husbands and keep it inside the Jewish family like that and stuff, and that just simply wasn't right. For the fact that most of the Israelites, maybe not the house of Judah, but most of the Israelites at that point in time in Jesus' time, they couldn't even trace their heritage back. They couldn't go back that far. And, and what was another thing that's interesting, I did not know this until we were studying this year in community Bible study. Brandy pointed this, or found this out. That did you know that all the genealogies, all going back for generations and generations, were all written down in the temple? And when they destroyed the temple, they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't know any of that stuff, right? And so one of the best places for the genealogies now is God's word in Luke when he goes through the whole list all the way back that is comes straight from the temple because Luke went back and and recorded that down and wrote that down it's one of the only recordings we have of that lineage which is like huh it's God's God's word God's spirit coming out of the temple and and being applicable to us today I thought that was really neat. So Paul tends to rant on this thing of Jewishness and Gentileness and how we need to come together in unity. He will talk about this more. We're going to hit it from a little bit different point of view this morning, but we're going to get into it in verses 11, 12, and 13. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promise God had made to them. He lived in this world without God and and without hope, or you lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Amen. God has a place for us. That's important. We can rest in that. We have, got, we have hope in that, and we can just sit in that. When we don't know much of anything else, we know that God has a place for us. How do we know that? Because our identity is found in Christ Jesus. As a Christian, when we look at the world, he's telling when we accept this 
covenant promise, we no longer look at things from our point of view, but we look at them from the point of view that Christ would look at them. And we rejoice in that, right? We, we get excited about that. So even in the first covenant, God has a place for the Gentiles believers. Did you know that? That just because Judaism tended to divide the Jews from the Gentile, that was never God's plan, okay? How do you know that, pastor? How do you know that? Well, Jesus, almost every time, read some of your Old Testament scriptures, and then you read the New Testament, he references many, many Old Testament scriptures that have to do with people coming to know the Jewish faith that aren't, they're not Jewish at all, right? You have Rahab and Ruth and... um, Who's the guy that had leprosy and was uh, with Elisha? The captain of the guard. Anyway, he wasn't Jewish either. And he comes to, the, to know uh, the Lord, right? So it was the job of the Jewish people to set themselves apart from the world so that they would be attractive or attract all the nations to God. They would say, these guys are set apart. They are acting different they are acting special in the way that I want to act. They, have, they got something right here. I want to follow them. What's different about you? I want to come out and find out what is different and know this. And so even if you look at the Jewish temple and how it's set up, you have three different areas, and they get narrower and narrower and narrower, right? So you have the outer court, you have the inner court, and then you have inside the temple, which you have is the, t- the Holy of Holies. The only person that can go into the Holy of Holies is the high priest, okay? Who is our high priest today? Because we can't go into the Holy of Holies. Who goes into the Holy of Holies on our behalf? Jesus does, right? Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies on our behalf. This is why we pray to God the Father, and we request it through Jesus Christ, okay? So when you pray, you pray to God the Father because you're going into the Holy of Holies at that point in time because God lives in your heart now, and you're saying, God, this is um, what I want. This is, you're an awesome God. Thank you. Um, this is what I need. This is what my friend's need. Um, in Jesus' name I pray, because he's interceding for me. Amen. Okay? So that's, that's the whole process right there. That's walking into the Holy of Holies. The Jewish people, they were allowed to come into on the other side of the curtain, right? They were able to go to the temple, but they were able to come out into the other side of the the curtain, they had places for the men to stand and the women to stand and all that stuff. But basically what it came down to is they were allowed to come into the temple like that. Now, outside of that was the outer courts. As you may recall, in, in John chapter 2, we see this the first time, is when Jesus clears out the outer courts. He makes a whip out of these cords. He starts chasing the animals out. He flips over the money changer tables and he goes, he gets righteously anger, angry at all these people. He says, you're making my father's house a house of robbers and thieves and crooks. Why? Because they weren't supposed to be there. That outer court never got used because the Jewish people didn't witness to the Gentiles. And so it was always empty. And they're like, this is unused space. We could fill this up with animals, we could get it closer, we could, make, we could say they're holy because they walked into the gates here, and our animals are better, and we can make some major profit off of these things. And so what they would do is they would, they would trade these, well, we're going to take your less holy sheep, and I'm going to give you one of my holy sheep, and I'm going to let you sacrifice this one, but it's going to cost you 10 more silver coins. And they'll be like, that's crazy, I can't afford that. And they're like, well, that's the going rate. I'm sorry, if you would have brought a holy sheep, we wouldn't have had to worry about this. And so they kill that sheep and they go along. And 10 families later, they sell that sheep right back to the person that came 10 families later. Things like that. And I'm not saying that's exactly how it happened, but that's how it could have happened. And so Jesus has a zeal for the world, not just the Jewish people, he is preparing the way for all peoples. And let's see. There are several times that Jesus quotes scriptures in 
to the Pharisees that indicate the same thing. You see this several times in the book of John. I am reading through the book of Luke right now. I saw it in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Is a Samaritan a Jewish person? No, good job. You got that one, right? No, they're not. They're Samaritan, right? They're what, what the Jewish people would consider the worst, they would be crossbred, right? They're Jewish they have Jewish heritage and Gentile heritage, and they would say, that's ridiculous, horrible, can't have that. Oh my goodness, they're, they're unclean just because of, of their heritage. And that's not what God says at all, right? It's not what we sang about this morning. We said, here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true, right? Salvation is a matter of the heart. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a Christian home. It doesn't matter if you... Um, are members of the church. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that your heart is surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said that every week in Ephesians, and I'll probably continue to say it throughout because it's pretty much a big theme in the book of Ephesians, right? You see in, in Luke chapter 11, we also have um, Jesus makes heroes of Gentile people as well, and it's, he mentions them throughout that as well, and some of those I mentioned earlier. He is the way for everyone, and Jesus is the door to heaven. So what do we know? What does that door look like? What does it, is it composed of? How do we bring these two people together, these two people groups? How do we bring unity to this? Well, we know this. And Jesus is teaching one of the teachers of Israel. He's teaching Nicodemus in John 3.16. It says, for this is how God loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Then it continues on. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Okay, I've heard this verse many a time, Pastor. Well, let's break it down this morning, okay? Okay, I'm gonna go. I almost said a corny joke there but I, I cut myself. I had to pause though. So let's, Break it down. God loved the world. Well, what do we define love here at White Rose Fellowship Church? What have I harped on over and over and over? Love requires what? Yes, it requires sacrificial action, right? So as we go forward, if you want to, if you say you love somebody, but you don't do anything about it, do you really love them? Not, not truly love, right? Uh, definitely not agape love. You might be giving to get, but you're not giving to give, right? Doing those dishes even though you're not asked to, or maybe that, that is a sacrificial action, mowing the lawn because you're not told to, changing the oil because uh, it's something that you know how to do and somebody didn't have time to do it, all those things. Or being patient when you're waiting on some of those things to get done, right? And so all those things are important. So he, God, shows us how to give sacrificially by giving his one and only son, okay? The new King James, or the King James, says begotten son, right? What's the difference between one and only and and begotten? Begotten is understood that he is the heir to the throne, the only heir to the throne. Not only is he his only son, but he is the heir to the throne. All of creation depends on him being alive if we're going to continue on and God gave him up for us. That's a sacrifice, okay? So the only thing that can save us, he's committed to death. How's that working out for us? It works out great if he can be perfect, right? which he did. So God gave up perfection for imperfection. And he does this through sacrifice, right? He dies on the cross. And what do we need to cover over sin? We see this in the old covenant. It's got to be blood, right? There's got to be blood. There's got to be a sacrifice. There's got to be showing of that. And the only one that could do that for all time was Jesus Christ. And when he died on the cross, his blood was the one that covered us from all our sins. And so we don't cling to our own righteousness, 
our own goodness. Are you good enough to go to heaven? No, I'm not. So you're going to hell? No. No, I'm actually not. I am depending on the grace of God. If you've ever, ever gone through the membership class here at White Rose, you were asked, how do you, if you died today, how do you know that you're going to go to heaven? And my, my first thing, well, I have faith in Jesus Christ. And Evan said, well, that's great. He was one of our elders, our lead elder back in the day. He said, that's great, Shane, but that's not going to get you to heaven. And I'm kind of like, I'm the pastor, I'm the associate pastor at White Rose Fellowship Church, and I did not get this answer right. I'm like, oh boy. He's like, what else is there? And I was like, well, it's, with a little bit of help, I was like, oh yeah, I skipped that step, right? It's the grace of God. I cannot do anything. I can put faith that will say to this car out here, move, and that car's going to drive away in about an hour, right? If I speed up, it'll go even faster than that, right? Speed up, pastor, you can do this. All right. <laughs> so Jesus says, if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, that mountain will move, right? He says also, Paul says, if I have faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, then I have nothing. So that grace, that act of love, that sacrificial action has to be there, and there's nothing I can do about it. I can't remove it. I can't replace it. I can't become it. Jesus has to do it. And when he does it, I have a decision to make. Do I want to surrender to that decision of to live like Jesus did, to live sacrificially? And how do you do that? Well, I want to see how he lived. I'm going to read the Gospels and see how he lived and acted. Did he act as, with good character? Yes, he did. Did he act with compassion? Well, to the right people, he acted with compassion. To the Pharisees, not so much. Every once in a while, he did. Because you look at the story here, he's talking to a Pharisee right now. If their heart was ripe for the harvest, he was very compassionate to Nicodemus. But he didn't pull any punches either. He says, you're Israel's teacher and you're acting so stupid, basically. Right? So I don't expect Jesus to pull punches with me either. I answered, faith in Jesus. And Evan goes, that's great, but if that's all you got, you're going to hell, Shane. And I was like, well, it's Jesus who saves me, not me. And we call that grace. That's right. That's how you know you're going to get to heaven. It all, it's the biggest word in the, in the Bible, right? Isn't that what you say, Phil? Yes. In any language, in any language yes, is the biggest word in any language. That's what he says. So through faith in his son Jesus, God gives us his grace to find salvation. Faith has to come. But grace has to be there first, okay? Otherwise, this works. If we don't have grace first, it's works. That's important. Okay, let's continue on because he, he talks about this a little bit. For Christ himself has brought us peace, brought, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commands and regulations, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups in God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles when you were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus is the light, okay? I pray that I'm like an insect that gets caught in the light of the bug zapper. Step away from the light, Shane. It's too pretty, right? <laughs> Bugs life, nobody seen that one? <laughs> Three of you guys are, laugh are laughing. You're like... Step away from the light, Carl. It's so beautiful. Right? Let's continue. Let's continue on about God's love, right? Because we got to 316 and 17. 
17 is an important verse. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Okay, So he is not here to judge the first time that he comes. He is not here to say, you're done wrong, you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you're all going to hell. That's, I'm sorry, but that's what it's going to be. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, sorry. That's not what he does, does it? He comes and he pleads with them, turn from your ways. This is the way, this is, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? Just a little bit later in your, that's John 14, 6, for those of you guys who are checking out your bulletins. He tells us this in John 3, 18 through 20. I, I alluded to this last week. I'm going to talk about it this week. It says, there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Okay, so if we have belief, if we have faith, that is grace saved us. There's no judgment on us. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. The judge is based on this fact. God's light has come into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for, their, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. According to these verses... We are born into judgment. If you ever talk to somebody that doesn't go to church, especially the one that says, oh, I'm a, I'm a good person. I, I really believe that I'm going to make the heaven. Well, ask them this, follow up with this question. Here's another question for you. Were you born basically good or were you born basically evil? Well, I was looking at, you know, babies, they're so... They're so beautiful, and they can't do anything wrong. They cry when they need the, the major three, right? And sleep, change your diaper, or, or eat, right? And so they're just bundles of joy. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. And, well, what about a two-year-old and a two-year-old's fit? Well, well, I think God overlooks those things, does he? No, I think that's our, our human nature coming out. God does not overlook those things. We are born basically evil. That is what we believe as Christians, partially because of this passage. This is one passage that points to us, right? We are in need of a Savior, okay? So God's light comes into the world, and when he shines us into us specifically, when we have the knowledge to do that and we don't accept him, when we reject that, we reject our way to heaven. But if we, he shines in our hearts and we are convicted and we accept Jesus into our heart, then praise God, we are going to heaven. And then we put our faith into practice. Okay? When I was younger, a young pastor, I used to, I had the ability to emotionally manipulate my youth group to accepting Jesus Christ. Problem with that is, and I, I thought I was doing the right thing too. I thought, you know, if I if I get them, all I got to get in there is get, just get them to understand how much God loves them. Because if they understand that and how bad hell is, then they'll want to accept Jesus. And once they accept Jesus, they'll start a relationship with Him, and it will be it'll go well with them. And that works sometimes. But not as much as you, want to, you might think it does, right? And so I stopped doing that. I presented the facts, I showed them, and I prayed about it. Because it's not up to me to decide anything for them. It is up to them to decide if they want to have Jesus. And if they have the facts and they can see that I'm convicted myself, and I believe what I believe, and I believe it and I put it into practice, then they will believe as well. Because they can see the example that's set before them. And so we can walk away from 
the things of this world. God's light comes into the world, but people love the darkness more than light, for their actions were evil. Those who do evil refuse to go near the light. They don't want their deeds exposed. But those who turn to God and follow the commands of his son, Jesus, not only will they now be in harmony with Christ's melody, they will bring other people to the music as well. See, it's contagious. When Jesus is starting to work on somebody's life, it, won't, it can't help but well out and show itself. Friends, we can't understand the sacrificial love of John 3.16 without understanding the severity of the wrath that we are under. Due to our hostility that we call sin, while we are walking in darkness outside of God's grace, through Jesus, we can all become children of Abraham, which would be the Jewish things, right? You ever remember, you ever remember that song back in, in the day when you sang it in Sunday school? Maybe, I, maybe you didn't, but I did. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. So we're not going to sing the whole thing because, you know, uh, that's right arm, left arm, left, left foot, right foot. Nod your head, turn around, sit down. Cluck like a chicken. You ever do the cluck like a chicken? We'd, make, we'd do whatever we could do on that song so we'd get out of Sunday school. We'd, we'd sing verses and verses of that thing. All right? So if we want to become fathers or children of Abraham through Jesus, we can also become citizens of heaven, which is what he alludes to here in this passage, right? They're all the same. We're going to be fathers of Abraham, citizens of the Jewish faith, adopted heirs, he says as well. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Well, you sound like a narrow bigot. Well, I'm definitely narrow, but I'm not a bigot, right? I'm definitely narrow, because Jesus said it, and that's the way it's going to be. But I'm going to accept that I'm no better than anybody else. And so I will reach out, and I will try to pull people in as they're trying to go to hell. And I'll say, this is, that's not the way. That's the way to destruction. Come this way. Turn the corner. And God's, by his grace, lets my little voice become a megaphone because his spirit is in it. And I might share a little bit more. And you can do the same, right? As Christ followers, our testimony at work, the way we are at home, is who Jesus is to the people around us. And there carries some weight to that, doesn't there? Oh, dang it. I have some people I need to forgive, which is an act of humility, which is where it all starts. Go for it. Do it with courage. Jesus is the unifying factor in every race, in every religion, in every social economic status, rich or poor, without, with our employer, with our spouse, with our employees. Jesus draws us all closer. And when we come close as a body of believers, there's strength in that as well. When our our eternal security is, is modeled in Christ. We know we are we know when we're gonna die that we are held together under the blood of Christ Jesus. We have a blessing that can only be described as a peace that passes understanding. I no longer have to serve my needs. I serve a risen Savior. Amen. I got a story about that. I don't very often pull out stories from the internet and read them, but today I'm going to. In the 1930s, there was a preacher named Alfred Ackley. During a time of evangelistic meetings, he was holding a young Jewish student and, question, and he had the student ask the question, why should I worship a dead Jew? Using the scriptures to witness to him, Pastor Ackley began to explain to this young man how Jesus was alive. He lives, and I tell you, he is not dead. He lives here and now. Jesus is more alive today than ever before. I can prove it in my own experience as well as the testimony of countless thousands. The thought of our resurrected Savior was on his thoughts after 
that conversation. As he prepared for his Easter sermon, the thought became even more present. On the Resurrection Sunday, as he rose early to prepare, Ackley turned on his radio. He was then shocked to hear a liberal preacher say something like this. You know, it really doesn't matter to me if Christ is risen or not. His body can be turned into dust long ago in some Palestinian tomb. But what's important is his, his truth goes marching on. That sounds really good, but it's really wrong, right? Pastor Ackley replied, it's a lie, he yelled. He, he, he was worked up by what he had heard and, he, and was mixed with his continual thoughts of Scripture. He lives, I tell you. He is not dead, but lives here and now. Jesus is more alive today than ever before, and I can prove it by my own experiences as well as the testimony of countless thousands. Ackley preached with great fervency both that morning and evening in the realization of our Lord's resurrection. But later that night, he, should, he could not shake the question of that young Jewish student and the words of that liberal preacher. It was then that his wife encouraged him to do something about it. Reverend Ackley, in telling the story later, said that he, that he preached that Easter Sunday quite differently than he had ever preached before, but at the end of the day, still felt like he had not yet said everything he wanted to say. He turned to the passage in Mark that described Christ's resurrection. The words, he lives, in the passage struck out to Ackley. He then began to write as the words flowed from him in moments. He was at the piano adding music to the words he had been inspired to write, and he penned these words. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, He's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. That means to give. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. We were going to sing that this morning, but I couldn't. Swing it good enough, and I cannot do three, four music on the guitar very good, so I had to just sing an acapella this morning. Christian, Christ Jesus lives in you. If you do not see your faith come alive, it's because you are not living your faith in a way that can allow it to come alive. Right? So you need to re-examine, do I, one, have faith at all? What do I have faith in? Do I have faith in myself? Do I have faith in Jesus Christ? If I have Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ, it is in his grace, rather in my faith in him, that I am saved. Okay? It is by grace you are saved through faith. He just got done saying that in Ephesians chapter verse 8. 8 and 9 are, are some of the most important Bible verses that we have, right? That's why we, it's the most important thing in all Christianity. That's why we keep circling back. We circle our wagons around it, right? Because it's, it's that important. Okay, are you letting him transform you into a new creation? Or are you resisting and doing your own thing? I would encourage you to break off those chains of sin and death. Break free of the wants and the covetousness of wanting what our neighbor has. Experience the freedom and the contentment we, have, we can find in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? One little act of surrender that you can do is prayer. Prayer shows that you are submitting to something bigger than you. Prayer is important. Okay, prayer has helped mold our hearts so that we don't depend on ourselves, but we depend on Jesus Christ. Through faith in his son Jesus, God gives us his grace to find salvation. Let's finish off the passage now, 19 through 22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built 
on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Isn't that encouraging? I hope you're encouraged by that this morning, that salvation is not only for the Jewish people, but it's for the Gentile as well. We have become citizens of Abraham. We have become citizens of God's holy kingdom. And I can rest in that. I can find peace in that, as it says in that passage. Peace that passes all understanding. When I come humbly before the Lord and I give my allegiance to him, or I swear felty, or I surrender, all those things are leading to the same place, right? to his grace and say, I can't do this on my own. I cannot make it to heaven on my own good works. I need your, you in my life. I ha- now have a new identity in Christ. Isn't that exciting? What's that look like? Well, I have a new family that, that has adopted me. I was a man without a home, and now I am a citizen of Christ Jesus. Think about this for a second. During the time of Jesus's ministry, so you're figuring he's probably 29, it kind of starts a little bit, we start to read, and then he, he turns 30-ish, he starts his ministry, right? Okay, so we know he was doing some things before that a little bit, but it, we, what all recorded is about from 30 on to about 33, okay? Three and a half years is about the time that we get, it's all we get of Jesus ministering here on earth. During that time, Jesus did not have a home. He stayed in somebody else's house or he wandered or they stayed out on the road in tents and he was a nomad for those three and a half years, right? Which is pretty amazing. The guy that did not have a home invites you home, right? You're like, well, where are we gonna stay? Seriously? I mean, I got a mat and I got an air mattress. All you got is a burlap sack, right? I'm like, seriously? But he doesn't invite us to his home, does he? He invites us to his father's home. His father's home has many, many rooms. If it were not true, Jesus would not have said so, is what he says. I think it says later on, John 14, actually. And he's going to go prepare a place for us. Like, well, when are you going to... When you go and when you come back, I don't know. It's for my father to tell me. When I have enough rooms made for you all to come, then I'll come back. Sounds good. All right? I have a royal ambassador who speaks on behalf of the king for me. Not only does he listen to my requests for myself, he listens to my requests for my community. He listens to my requests for my family, for my loved ones, for my fellow congregants. He is faithful, even when I am not. It's pretty amazing. The Spirit of the Lord is continuing to work in and through each believer to bring us alive in Christ Jesus. Here are a few things we have when we surrender. One, I have a foundation. Christ Jesus is the capstone that the builders have rejected. As Peter's speaking to the crowd, he quotes the scripture. He says in Acts chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, says, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. What's the importance of a capstone or a cornerstone, especially in ancient time building? Everything is built off of that. You make sure that one's square if you want it cardinally directoral. I'm sure that's a word. Uh, You set it up with your compass, right? And you put it um, compass north, east, and west, right? And then you go and you, everything is built off that line. And it's got to be perfect at a 90 degrees all the way around because everything else that you build off of is going to go off of that Christ is our cornerstone. If we do not have Christ on 
our corner to set our building square, we are going to have a poor foundation and we are going to fall off and it's going to go not well with us. The world will never accept Christ as their Savior without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. We can be bold and stand for the Lord when we are rookie Christians even. Right? I just accepted Christ yesterday. I don't care. You can go tell people about Jesus today because you know what he has done and how he's changed your heart right now. Because our strength does not come from human hands, but it comes from the Lord. Be bold and brave with Christ as our foundation. Number two, we have unity. Because, one, because I put others ahead of myself. I don't pursue what I lack as I ask God to deliver out of his abundance. I prayed that this morning. God's been convicting me on that this morning and this week. What do we always want? We always want what we don't have, right? And that drives wedges faster than anything. When I was in junior high and high school, it was like, I'm getting really vulnerable here. My biggest thing that I wanted I just thought I needed a girlfriend. I just thought they would make me whole and complete, and that's a lie, because only Christ Jesus can make us whole and complete, and I didn't understand that until I was whole and complete, that God was going to give me somebody that was whole and complete, and then bring us together, right? Because marriage is not an addition problem. Half plus a half equals a whole. It's a multiplication problem. What's a half times a half? It's a quarter. You don't want to be a quarter of a person. You want to be one times one, times one. So it's me plus my wife plus the Holy Spirit equals one good marriage, right? It's a multiplication problem. If you don't have those three factors in there, you'll never make good marriage. So don't try to kid yourself on that. So what's one thing that we can do? God, for us to ask out of his abundance. When we think we have this need, we ask God for an abundance. There's some way that God can fill that need out of his abundance that we don't need, right? Adam and Eve, they didn't have the, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They went and got it. They acted out of their lack. David didn't have Bathsheba, so he, what did he do? He went and took her, right? He killed her husband. He acted out of his lack. What does... What do we do? Well, I'll tell you one from an I personality, which is uh, flamboyant, right? A guy that, that needs attention to the crowd. That's, this is me, by the way, so you know that. Um, what do I need? I need? I need attention, and so I will go out and get it by acting goofy or doing whatever I want instead of being content with what the Lord has given me in humility, right? God has answered some of those needs that I think I need, out of his abundance, but I was just looking in the wrong place. I kept looking in the upper left drawer, and it was not there. It was in the bottom right. That's where the big bulky stuff is. I should have been looking the bulk from the beginning, right? Ephesians 4, 2, and 3, which we will go on. This is the parallel passage to this passage. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, with peace, not arguments, not getting our own way, not demanding out what we don't have. I need this. I have to have this. This is going to be what I want. I don't understand why I'm not getting this. No, we make peace. Okay, that's not going to work. We need to ask God out of his abundance. How are we going to make this happen? Christ Jesus is the binding agent that brings us together as a body of believers. Number three, I'm set apart as holy. I need to honor God with what he has given to me. One thing that I can do that I have, that every one of us has, is our body, right? We have our own body. We can set it apart as holy to Christ Jesus. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. It is too easy to get these days. If you can say the word pornography, you can say it on your phone or your iPad, and it will pull it up just like that for you. It's too easy. We were talking about that at men's group. And it's, there's a plea 
that God puts in his word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given, you, given to you by God? How did God treat his temple when it wasn't our body, when it was a building or it was a tabernacle that traveled around? Super holy, right? What happened to the people that touched the Ark of the Covenant? They died, yeah. What happened when Moses cleansed himself and spent time with his in, with the Ark of the Covenant? He came out of that tent. What did he do? He was glowing. He was glowing, right? We have an opportunity to glow, or we have an opportunity to treat God's temple like it's something that's broken, that doesn't exist, that it, it doesn't demand holiness. God does demand holiness. That's one thing that's awesome about our God. He also gives forgiveness, doesn't he? Praise God for his forgiveness. He can bring us back to where we... So don't you realize that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given by God? You do not belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. What was that price? Jesus Christ. What's that? Yeah, Jesus' life, right? So you must honor God with your body. It's a way we can honor God. We should not, we should not review who I am in the past. Instead, I need to count the cost of what God paid for me. And he becomes the standard. He was the high price. He is how I'm going to honor him. He is why I'm going to honor him as well. Number four, and, and finally, praise God, finally, I have a home. I'm loved on a different level. Do you get that? This is renewed for me every day. I am loved on a different level. Unconditional love from God, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But he's there and he gives it. And he gives me this opportunity that I can have peace in difficult situations. Jesus is about to go to the cross and die on, for our sins and he speaks to the 11 remaining disciples. He says to him in John 14, 27, 14, 27, I'm leaving to give you a gift, a peace of mind and heart and the peace I give you is not the gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The next 24 hours for those 11 are the worst that they'll ever experience in their life. Probably worse than their death, right? Because they're going into the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen to Jesus. And when he dies, their world is shaken upside down, right? It's not what they expected at all. They're asking, how can we go on? How can we go on? Don't be troubled or afraid. He just told us that last night. Do you remember that? It seems like years ago. He just said, last night, don't be troubled or afraid. He is dead. How am I not going to be not troubled and afraid? I'm going to go hide now from the Jewish leaders because I'm troubled and afraid, Lord. How can we go on? Well, we can go on because we know the end of the story, right? Christ Jesus rose from the dead. Christ Jesus defeated the power of sin and darkness and death. And we can go to that same person of Jesus Christ and God our Father and ask for forgiveness of our sins so that we can pursue righteousness and holiness. And because he was willing to pay the highest price for us to join him at home. Ephesians 4, 14 says, We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown back by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to, to, to trick us with lies so clever they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the, his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Do you look like 
Did you look like Christ this past week? Or do you look like the world? If you have looked like Christ, then keep it up. Keep up the good work. If you haven't, it's time to do business with the Lord. Ask for forgiveness and turn and walk with him. Because through faith in his son, Jesus, God gives us his grace to find salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, first we seek you in in forgiveness. Forgive us of our pride, our lustful thoughts, our self-righteousness. Lord, I pray that you forgive us that we coveted what our neighbor had, that maybe we were disobedient this week. Lord, I pray that you would draw us close so that we would come to know you in a mighty way, that you would lift us up. Lord, we're going through some tough times with some people. We think of our friend Denny. We pray that you would heal him. We pray for Lloyd as well, and we ask for healing there. Lord, we pray that you'd come alongside those and each one of us, that you would continue to mend our hearts to look more like Jesus, that we would make a way for others to see oh, the goodness that you have in each one of our hearts, and that we would become disciple-makers of you. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love people who cross my, our paths, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you are sending our way to live in and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples. Ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.